In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For more years than I can remember, I've had a book on my shelves called The Gospel in Many Tongues. 875 to be precise. No prizes for guessing which verse the publishers chose to illustrate their theme. A verse which people like me who were brought up on the Book of Common Prayer used to hear at every communion service, and we just heard it in our Gospel. No surprise either that it's arguably the best known and best loved passage in the whole Bible. It speaks to us with a note of authority, and above all, of reassurance and of comfort. So God loved the world, that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him should not perish, but may have eternal life. The word gospel means good news, but quite often we find things in our four gospels that cause us to wonder, where's the good news there? Not so here. The reason why this verse is so much quoted is surely that we feel that it expresses what is most precious in our faith. The last time I preached from here, we remembered how God looked on all the works of creation and saw that they were good. Our problem, of course, is that human selfishness always spoils what is good. Worse still, we're so enslaved in selfishness that we continue to spoil the good things God creates and risk destroying them altogether. And selfishness by its very nature prevents us from finding a way out. The Christian good news is that God's love is by no means exhausted in the act of creation. It is constant, it is faithful, it will never let go. It reaches out to draw us back into the friendship for which we were created to enjoy. And the means by which God does this is to share with us what it's like to be caught up in all the mess we human creatures have made of things. God so loved the world that he gave. That's what love does, it gives. In fact, we might well amend the statement to read, God so loves the world that he gives. I know, of course, that the original is in the past tense because it refers to an event in history. God's only son was given in a particular human life at a specific moment in history and in an actual geographical location. That's remarkable enough, but it's only half the story. Jesus assures his friends before he leaves them they will not be on their own. He and his father will do better than that. The spirit whom they will send will keep him alive in their lives and give them the courage to face hostility and danger. The courage to spread the good news that God's love is still available. It can still release us from the prison of destructive selfishness in which we are trapped. So here is the offer of good news indeed, the best news imaginable. But the fact that the offer is there for us to accept is not enough in itself. I said a moment ago that God's love will never let us go, but because it is love, 
it will not, indeed it cannot, force us against our will. Shortly we shall say together a prayer which includes the words, your love compels us to come in. That mustn't be taken literally. Love and compulsion are incompatible. It would be more accurate, though less poetic, if we were to say your love strongly urges us to come in. Don't get me wrong, everything else in the prayer is wonderful. The appeal of love is impotent unless it is responded to. In a very moving and remarkable book called Dare to Break Bread, the author, a parish priest, writes, when I have made my confession with the congregation, I stand facing them and pronounce absolution. It should be a glorious moment. God is giving pardon to the penitent. Too often, the pardon is not received. God sends a check which is not cashed. If we're to cash God's check, if we're not to miss out on the gift God sends us, what then must we do? Our verse offers us the answer. Believe in him. But we should be on our guard against imagining that we're conducting some sort of transaction in which we do this and God does that and our business is concluded. The reason why we must believe in him is not so that, to use today's ugly expression, we can tick a box on the application form. Love and compulsion are incompatible. So are love and box ticking. Where believe comes into it is that when we believe, we open our hearts and lives to let Jesus in. Unbelief shuts the door against him. The wonderful picture in that strange book, Revelation, comes to mind. Jesus says, listen, I am standing at the door and knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. And of course, that's why we're here gathered this morning. However, we all know that our belief is nothing like as constant and faithful as God's love for us. So it's hugely reassuring to know that God understands this and offers us repeated opportunities to cash his check. Some years ago, I sent my grandson, then at university, quite a big check. With some embarrassment, he admitted that he'd been clearing up the papers on his desk and had thrown it away. Of course, I sent another. You won't believe this, but this one got lost in the post. At that point, I overcame my previous reluctance and began banking online. I simply couldn't let my dear boy lose out. Now Jesus tells us, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, and I include that grandchildren, how much more will your heavenly Father give you good things if you ask him? So God will never tell us, you had your chance and you blew it. We're taught to recognise in God a Father whose love goes way beyond anything we deserve or indeed can even imagine. We know this because love sends us his son to be our true brother, 
standing with us in all the circumstances of life, in joy and in pain. Old Nicodemus was honestly seeking a way, but just couldn't understand how life with Jesus could only be described as being born again. He still couldn't grasp how the wind, which is God's spirit, mysteriously permeates the whole of creation, and how that spirit is constantly renewing it. St. Paul understood it when he wrote, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything has become new. Jesus speaks of the wind of the Spirit blowing where it chooses. We don't know where it comes from or where it goes, though we may hear its sound. But then again, we may not even hear that. How often are we aware of the wind only because we see the leaves moving? May I quote again from the book I mentioned earlier? Sometimes you go into your children's bedroom when they are asleep. You touch them, bless them, and pray for them. They receive a blessing but never know it. He goes on, Lord, as I come to the Eucharist today, I want your touch to be like that given to a sleeping child. You can give wind, fire, and earthquake to those who need it. Let your presence be like that of a desert breeze. So this morning, as we come to the Eucharist, may we receive God's promise and his blessing with joy, even if we can't always be sure that we're actually feeling them.